Hey, y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 100-something, and it's a great one today. We get further insight from one of the best players in all of college football, Penn State tight end. I mean, that's, that's his position on paper, but this guy does a little bit of everything, Pat Fryermuth. Just a freakish athlete, just just such a matchup nightmare for anybody in the Big Ten who is going to attempt to guard him and cover him this season. And uh, they have a great opportunity in Happy Valley to make a run at a college football playoff berth. Now, of course, they're going to have to go through Travis's the Ohio State Buckeyes in order to achieve that. And when those two lock horns, Travis, what's the date? I know you know it by heart. It's Halloween, October 31st. Halloween, baby. Happy Valley. Let's go, son. Let's go. Let me just go ahead and and drop the the note that, uh, dear ESPN, if you could give my crew that game, we would be very happy about that. But just a delightful conversation with with a tremendous young man about what it's been like. Uh, meandering through COVID with, with no answers and, and the Big Ten canceling its season and then reestablishing its season and everything that those young men have managed. We had that great conversation last week with Sean Wade, the All-American defensive back for Travis's The Ohio State Buckeyes. And then, of course, after Sean walks us through everything that he's managed, the Big Ten decides that it is going to have a football season. And I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for everyone involved. I'm thrilled for the coaching staffs. I'm thrilled for the players. I'm thrilled for the parents. I'm thrilled for fans like Travis, who was going to drink so much this fall just to get through this fall without the Ohio State Buckeyes on his television set. He's going to get to see his boys play. It was and, it was brutal, Marty, that first couple of weeks, even though they weren't a ton of games. It was brutal to see college game day on and know that at the time your team wasn't going to play and then watching these games. Um, so, yeah, it was going to be brutal. And I did hold up my end of the bargain when the announcement came down on Wednesday. I went to my cabinet above the refrigerator and opened up my uh, Eric Church uh, yeah, single barrel. Chief whiskey, baby. That stuff is mighty fine. And I had, well, it'll I put a whooping glass on at 10 a.m. I poured a, I just had one glass. I think people thought I was going to continue to drink the entire day. I had a glass and then, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't keep going. Let I me tell one. you something, bro. I can speak from experience on this. One glass of single barrel Jack Daniels, it'll do you right. Okay. If that's one of the things about going to chief shows, it sneaks up and bites you. You're so full of endorphins at a chief show that you don't realize exactly what's happening. And then all of a sudden, the cobra sneaks out of the bottle and bites you. And you realize, wow, I have had five of these, and it's going to be a full-blown thunder boom the entire day tomorrow. But you don't worry about that while Chief's singing drink in my hand. You just let it ride. Uh, Back to uh, Pat and our conversation with him. He gets into the mental impact of not being able to play and watching other schools and players have that opportunity. Why could the Big 12 and the ACC and the SEC have seasons? And we can't. All that came with that, and he was very candid 
about how it impacted him. I can't tell you how many times Travis has texted me over the first few weeks of the season without being Big Ten football that he's not sure he's going to make it through. And so now we know that he is going to make it through. He's going to persevere. I don't know what we're going to do on the Saturday of the Masters (laughs) because Travis and I are going to be in Augusta, Georgia, and the Alabama Crimson Tide and the LSU Tigers are going to face off against one another. So Travis and I might have to go find a cold beer or two. We'll get into that after a while. All right. Leave your TV on CBS, unfortunately, for us ESPN people because oh, that's not unfortunately. There's nothing unfortunate about that day of sports. I don't care what it's on. I'm all good with it. And you and I are going to have a lot of fun. But so speaking of crimson, (laughs) I had a unique experience this weekend. I did got to do my first game, guys. I got to head to Atlanta, Georgia. And I got to be part of the broadcast team with my brothers, Joe Tessitore and Greg McElroy, and our production staff led by Kim Belton of broadcasting on ABC, the Central Florida at Georgia Tech football game. And I have been very intrigued by Jeff Collins, the head coach for Georgia Tech, and his passion and his – conviction for his hometown which is the ATL and that man wears it on his sleeve on his chest for the whole world to see I mean it is his mission yeah man it's his mission to establish the ATL as the epicenter of college football and I asked him and I, I, I look if I'm sure none of them listen but the beat writers for Georgia Tech They knew the story. They probably rolled their eyes when I asked it. But last Monday, as I was preparing for the the game, I went on uh, Coach Collins' Zoom call with the media. And I had the opportunity to ask the final question of the press conference. And I asked him, Forgive me, Coach. I I know all you guys who are beat writers are going to – I know this is a tired question for you guys, so y'all forgive me, but – what is it about the 404 brand that you care so much about, that, that you have that level of conviction about? And I could see him kind of smile in the corner of his mouth. And he said, Marty, I'm going to call you later because I got an hour I could spend on this, but I will just say this. He said, I was born eight miles from where I'm standing. I was raised in the ATL, I'm a product of Georgia high school football. I was a GA for George O'Leary here at Georgia Tech when I was 26 years old. And when I was that 26-year-old graduate assistant for George O'Leary, I had a vision for this place. And he went on from that point. Well, when we had our coaches meetings on Friday with – the Georgia Tech and UCF coaching staffs and players. I followed up on that. I said, Coach, you said you had a vision for Georgia Tech football. What is that vision? And he said, Marty, I'm, as I sit here talking to you, I'm 0.7 miles from the College Football Hall of Fame. I am five hours 
from, I think he said 12 of the last 15 national championships had been won within five hours of where he was sitting in downtown Atlanta. He said, this needs to be, my vision for the 404 is the epicenter of college football. And Travis, I'm going to say this. I said it on Marty and McGee the other day, but I mean this, man. He ain't there yet. He's got a couple really special players who are 18 years old in quarterback Jeff Sims, who's going to be a total star, and his running back, Jameer Gibbs, that everybody that boy, in the country wanted. That boy can run. That dude can go. I mean, he can really go. And when he got the start, because their starting running back was out, but he was out, so Jameer Gibbs got the start, and he takes the opening kickoff back 73 yards. I started to get – like, I don't check my phone during games unless it's I'm texting an SID or maybe my producer or someone that I need to, to get information from. I try to leave my phone alone. I am not – I don't want to get distracted. And the best of the best of the best sideline reporters, they are always looking. They're looking at the benches. They're looking at how the coaches are interacting with the players. You're, it's you're all constantly that, moving, too. Always yes, looking I walked for around that things. stadium, uh, I mean, so many times. And the best of the best of them are always perceiving so they can relay information to the booth. Hey, Brent Key, the offensive line coach for Georgia Tech, after another failed kicking attempt, is in those linemen's ass right now. You just relay those things up to the booth. You don't have to do that report. You give that report to the booth. Hey, you know, we're seeing this. So, anyway, uh, I try to keep my phone in my pocket. But after Gibbs brought that opening kickoff back 73 yards to whatever line, it, whatever yard line he made it to, my phone started blowing up in my pocket. And it was all my boys that know the recruiting much better than I do. Gibbs could have gone anywhere played for anybody, and started as a freshman for anybody. And Ohio he State. chose Jeff Collins. Ohio State was going after him. I, yeah. mean, I mean, you named the school, he had an offer. That's right. And so, anyway, Coach Collins has a couple studs in Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs in his offensive backfield. So, he ain't there yet. But I sense in Georgia Tech this groundswell of passion that reminds me so much of the early Dabo Sweeney era in Clemson, South Carolina. Now, I know that a lot of y'all might be like, what the hell are you talking about? People forget that when Dabo was named interim head coach and then ultimately head coach at Clemson, a lot of people were like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. And in the first couple years, they weren't setting the world on fire. He was afraid at the end of the 2010 season that he was going to get fired. He walked into his office at, in Death Valley and walked to his office off the field. They just lost to South Carolina. His wife is standing at the doorway of his office in tears. Terry Don is in the office, that being Terry Don Phillips, the former athletics director at Clemson University. Dabo walks in the office prepared to hear those words, hey, man, we love you. Thanks for trying. It ain't right. But Terry Don Phillips said, I have never been more sure that you're the guy 
to lead this program to unparalleled heights. And that empowered Dabo so much. Then he started to get recruits. It, and it then is. this guy showed up by the name of Deshaun Watson. And when Deshaun Watson chose Dabo Sweeney from Gainesville, Georgia, Deshaun Watson from Gainesville, Georgia, chose Dabo Sweeney. Well, I'll, I'll actually go back one more, Marty. Taj Boyd was that one that really kind of stabilized that program, and it takes one player. But then Deshaun was the one that took it over. Actually, look, I, Taj is my boy. And Taj was the ACC player of the year, okay? So we know that he had some dudes. He had New Hopkins on one side. He had Sammy Watkins on the other side. And he had Martavis Bryant, too. Their wide receiving core when Taj was there was just stupidity. But you know who that re- – the first real Uber could go anywhere and play for anybody recruit that Dabo got was C.J. Spiller. When C.J. chose Clemson, everything changed. All right. But it was when Sean showed up that it was on like Donkey Kong because he had this dude. Like, I've never been around anybody like Deshaun Watson. Y'all know, anybody listens to this podcast knows I love that guy. I don't like him. He ain't my, you know, I love that kid. And I'm so proud of him. Anyway, so back to Jeff Collins and Georgia Tech. I see, I feel. That same kind of energy is the word around the Georgia Tech program that you feel around Dabo Sweeney's Clemson Tigers. It's fun. It's fun to see that. And, you know, will Coach Collins be able to lift Georgia Tech to to that level where they're even competing for ACC championships? They got a ways to go. But they are so, so much better right now than they were a year ago when he started. So I really enjoyed my time with him last week. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Coach Heupel and what they're doing at UCF. Hey, man, that's a good football team. Speaking of horses, they got some dudes too. That Dylan Gabriel, their quarterback from Hawaii, that dude can spin it, man. They're going to be a fun team to watch, man. They move so fast. So I had a blast covering that game with, with Greg and Joe. Now – 20 minutes ago, I started talking about the interesting experience I had. So in the third quarter of that game, we wanted to interview Jeff Sims Sr., Georgia Tech quarterback Jeff Sims' daddy, because Sims told us before the game that when they beat Florida State, he was having kind of a tough first half, and he texted his dad at halftime. And his dad reminded him via text, don't be a superhero. Play your game, you're fine, just calm down. And that calmed Jeff Sims down, and he went to have a great game in the second half, lead the Yellow Jackets to a come-from-behind victory over Florida State. We thought that was so cool. So I wanted to go ask Jeff Sr. if he texted with Jeff Jr. during halftime of the UCF game. Well, I wore some pants on Saturday. I don't know exactly what color they were. At the time, I just knew that they were kind of reddish. And I thought, they're awesome pants. Alton Lane, my clothier, I don't know what you call my – they make my suits, okay? That's all I know how to say it. It's the company you go to for your outfits. You you, you like them, they work for you. They make my suits. And they are the – I mean, it's amazing how awesome my suits are, y'all. They do a great – they do a phenomenal job at Alton Lane. 
it's, and it's hard it's hard to make clothing for your uh your medium slim ass of yours it is man it's extra smeed baby so i have on these pants and joe tess starts to discuss my pants in the booth well i didn't get the opportunity he called them plum my plum pants so i was going to rebut him right then but a play happened and we couldn't get to it so no big deal whatever I love that stuff. I have a great sense of humor about being picked on. I always have. It makes for good fun. So, fourth quarter, game's getting away from Georgia Tech a little bit, and Kim Belton, our game producer, uh, gets in my ear, and he says, hey, bud, you do realize that you have not taken the opportunity to talk to those dudes about your pants. I, you can do that. You just let me know when you're ready. So, they cue my mic, and this happened. When I was interviewing Jeff Sims Sr., yes. my cohorts made the decision that they wanted to clown oh boy. my pants. Mm. These are not plum. These are maroon-ish. They look plum to me. They are maroon. They might even be crimson. I think they're McElroy. plum. And the thing about it is that's not the problem. You guys are late. I walked onto the field 17 hours ago, and yeah. Brent Key, the <laughs> offensive line coach for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, started to make fun of my pants as soon as he saw me from 100 yards away. Moreover, my back's starting to tighten up just a little bit. They're so tight, I can't <laughs> lean over and stretch out my back. That's the problem right now. Well, we can folks, we can American oh, treasure. They look nice, ladies and now, gentlemen. Now, let me ask you this, Greg. Moving forward, do you prefer Marty Magenta Hayes Smith, or would that be Marty Steel Pink Smith, the American <laughs> treasure? I'm, I'm kind of focused on the shoes. I mean, I see the white knights, and, you know, I mean, I'm, oh boy, that gets my attention, Marty. So we got I, a winner I, here. You know that I was going Jordans, but there was threatening skies when we left the hotel <laughs> this morning. So I had to call a very quick audible. Uh, you called a good one, that's for sure. Well done. Thank you, Governor. Listen, y'all, you can't have that much fun. I am so grateful for Joe Tessitore and Greg McElroy's senses of humor and Kim's sense of humor that we got to do that on a ABC football game broadcast. And the response to that blew my mind. As I told y'all, I don't look at my phone during games unless it's for work. I ain't looking at Twitter. I ain't looking at any of that stuff during, during games, certainly. But I got back to my hotel. I wanted to drive home Saturday night after the game. But the game went long. I had done Marty and McGee that morning starting – I got up about 5.30 to set up everything, so I was pretty gassed, and I wanted a cold beer. So I got back to the hotel, went to the bar, got me a beer, walked back to the room, and turned on the Miami-Louisville game. And my buddy texted me. He goes, dude, have you seen social media about your damn pants? I said, my pants? No. I went and looked. I broke my own code. I went and looked at Twitter. Dude, it went crazy, bro. I started – I mean – I lost it when it happened live, and then I called you uh, when you're back at the hotel room, and I already knew that out of anything from that game, that's what was going to take off on Twitter. And I'm still curious what the verdict was on the, the call. All right. So the next morning, uh, I contacted Peyton Jenkins, who's my brother, uh, who is actually the president of Alton Lane, and 
I asked him, I said, I need a favor. I need you to find out what the exact color of my pants are. He goes, what pants did you wear? I said, you didn't see? He goes, what do you mean? So I tell him what happened and he's like, this is amazing. So he went and looked it up. He sent me the Pantone color wheel, SWAT, what's it called, Swatch? Yeah, Swatch I think is what it's called. It is winery. It is not plum. I called it maroonish on the broadcast. They were winery was the official color of those pants. And now it appears as a result of this, I got a text from Peyton last night, y'all. And he said, is there any color you will not wear? So I think he has something up his sleeve. I said, yes, there's colors I won't wear. I'm not going to wear like lime green or fuchsia or, you know, lilac. I'm not going to wear any of that stuff. Like, no way, man. I'm not doing that. And plus, whatever he sends me, I got to have shirts and jackets that match. What does Lainey think of uh, these pants and your other uh, outfits? She loves them. Now, I wore up, I, I did a commercial shoot yesterday that I cannot discuss just yet, but uh, it was an amazing day. It was an awesome shoot. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a commercial for the college football playoff. I can say that. I wore a suit that I love. I knew the stylist at the commercial was going to pick this suit. I probably brought 10 outfits, and I, I could have brought one because I knew it was the one that she was going to choose out of my allotment. The pants are so tight. I felt like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever, dude. These <laughs> things were like spandex, man. And I could tell the crew. I could tell everybody like was – I just love picking on myself. I was like, I know all y'all looking at my pants. I know y'all love how tight these pants are. And it just, you know, busts up and it becomes a fun joke the whole day. But the suit is amazing. Just amazing. That's the only pair of pants I think. Lane, is the blue, uber-tight John Travolta pair of pants that I wore yesterday like the only pair of pants that you kind of go, eh, she's laughing at me. The ones I wore yesterday. Yes, uh, the ones I wore yesterday, she says, ah, Martin, they might be just a little too tight for you. So, yeah, they might be a little too tight, but I love them. So, uh, I sent Spears. I wore those same pants to Knoxville, Tennessee last year for SEC Nation. And we had to do this thing on the demo field, that like uh, the, the demonstration field. And I couldn't bend down and pick the football up because my pants were too tight. Quickly, though. What was it like just to – you've done some NASCAR hits outside the tracks, but what was it like to be in there and covering Weird. something live for the first time since what? March? March 12th. 12th? What yep. was that like? It was weird, man. Uh, they did – there were 11,000 fans in Bobby Dodd Stadium, so there was that live vibe. But, like, even when huge plays happened, when you're expecting – it didn't feel that way. And this weekend, I, I might get a little better vibe on what that's really like because Ole Miss has the opportunity to allow 25% capacity. And, you know, it being the SEC opener, they're, bringing, they're welcoming Florida in. Florida's a national championship contender. They, got, they are going to be really good. And so I expect a great atmosphere. I'll have a little better understanding this time around. Georgia Tech fans were great, but – uh, it was a very different experience. Uh, so, yeah, it was amazing to be there. I loved it. 
And I can't wait to do it again this Saturday. Uh, we're the noon kickoff on ESPN. Florida at Ole Miss, it should be a good one. Lane Train's debut for the Rebels. It's going to be fun, man. I'm really looking forward to it. So before we get to our interview with Penn State tight end Pat Fryermuth and Ask Marty, I also want to remind y'all to check out my boys, Dan Lebetard and Stu Gotts and Mike Ryan and everybody in the shipping container. Not only are they on ESPN Radio and ESPN News 10 to 12 Eastern time every weekday, but they also put out great, funny, hilarious, insightful, original content before and after the show that you can get when you download and subscribe to the Dan Lebetard Show with Stu Gotts and Marty Smith's America. You can do that wherever you get your podcasts. And now it's time for our awesome interview with Penn State tight end Pat Fryermuth. I was watching some game tape on you this morning, and son, uh, you're a matchup nightmare. Uh, so let's start, man, with, with a self-scout. Kind of give me a self-scout on what you believe you do really well and where you're looking to improve this year. I think I do a really good job, um, you know, finding those holes in zone defense, um, exploiting the defense uh, and getting open. Um, I think I bring a physicality to the offense, kind of with my mindset as to I'm not going to let the uh, guy cross from me uh, beat me in anything, and that's blocking, pass pro, and, you know, running routes. Um, I think this year uh, I need to take a next step at, you know, being better at that point of attack, creating movement on the line of scrimmage, and then obviously just winning versus man coverage, continue to be a, a security blanket for Cliff and just continue to get open. You noted that physicality, man. I was watching that Cotton Bowl, and you busted out the truck stick on some poor guy. Walk yes, me through that play, man. I, I love the smile on your face. T take me through that play. Yeah, so, you know, I ran a nice little fly route. And Cliff gave me the ball, and I was surprised because usually DBs go low on me. So I was kind of shocked that um, I was going to try and cut it back, and I was kind of shocked that he wasn't going low. So I just put <laughs> my shoulder and let him know what was up. <laughs> Is that just – I mean, a guy with your size, I imagine that's the dream. All right, yeah. the end zone is five yards away or 10 yards away, whatever it was, and this dude thinks he's going to hit me. That's the dream. It's definitely the dream. you got to show your physicality right there. <laughs> let's, uh, let's discuss you walking into Coach Franklin's BTN interview and, and the messaging that you wanted to convey. How did that unfold? Did you randomly walk into his office? How did that happen? Yeah, so obviously, you know, with the uncertainty of the Big Ten coming back and, and it, the season getting canceled, obviously there was some – open dialogue between me and Coach Franklin and, and my tight ends coach, Coach Bowen, about, you know, the chance of me leaving and, and the pros and the cons. And, um, you know, when the Big Ten came back and announced they were coming back, I mean, I called Coach Franklin and said, you know, those, those conversations are dead. I'm coming back and I can't wait to play. <laughs> um, and then he was like, actually, I'm about to go on Big Ten Network, so why don't you come up and, you know, because there were some reports out there that I was going to leave. And so he said, why don't you come up and tell everyone you're staying? So I just wanted to show everyone in Nittany Nation that, you know, I'm here. I love Penn State, and I can't wait to play for Penn State another season. What's it like to read your own news? <laughs> it's it's definitely weird because I just feel like some it's like that the report that came out that I was leaving. I mean, it wasn't true. Um, so it was kind of frustrating, kind of being like, all right, well, there's reports out there of me that's not really true. But I didn't want to say anything um, out front public immediately because I just wanted time to digest it and everything. Um, but it's definitely weird. It's definitely weird. What is that dialogue when you're talking to your position coaches and, and your head coach about, look, I'm, we all know I have this bright future. How does that back and forth go? Coach Franklin and Coach Bone do an awesome job. I mean, not just with me, but everyone in the program, just supporting them and, and making sure that they have the players' best interests to, for their future. 
And so, you know, I mean, Coach Bowen and Coach and Franklin really laid out, you know, the pros and the cons. And evidently there was no really, like, bad cons of me to stay or for me to leave or, or anything, like, drastic like that that I needed to come back. But, you know, I just came back last year. I could have declared last year, and I came back this year to, you know, fight for national championship and fight for Big Ten championship. And, you know, that's, that was the goal. And, you know, I got the opportunity to do that. So I'm excited to get, get going. I see the whole world calling you baby Gronk. Uh, as a guy who grew up in New England, I wonder kind of what pieces of his game you try to emulate. Yeah, I mean, everything, really. I mean, Gronk, in my opinion, is, is the best tight end in forever, to be honest. I think that, you know, he, he brings a kind of mentality where he's not going to get stopped. And, you know, that's what I like to bring into my game. I think he's really good at all three phases. But, you know, I just try to emulate his game into my game and watch film on him and, and just kind of continue to be great. You had a message on, on Twitter before the Big Ten announcement that they were going to reverse the, the, the season and actually play. How come everybody can play but us? What was it like to have to watch other collegiate football players get to participate and you, you have to sit there and watch it on TV? How was that emotionally? Yeah, it was, it was very tough. I mean, I was watching with my roommates and, and it was just very tough watching, you know, these other kids and these other programs go and, and compete for, you know, a championship or a, a W in the win column. It was just very hard, you know especially with the Big Ten being one of the top, if not the best conferences in the country. I just felt like, you know, if the SEC, the ACC, and these other kind of small conferences are playing, why can't we get the opportunity to play? And I'm very thankful for, you know, the players and the parents, especially my mom, who really helped, who's the leader of the Player Association here, who really helped and, and put out a message that, you know, we feel comfortable playing and, and all that. So I'm very thankful for everyone that was involved in that. And, you know, I'm very happy to play right now. You note that your mom was really active in that parental movement. What, what did you learn about her, seeing her battle for you that way? I know my mom was always going to fight for my, my siblings and I. Um, but, you know, this kind of just proved to me that, you know, she's my rock. She'll fight for me. She'll fight for my siblings, whatever that takes. And, you know, if this was her being vocal or if this was her standing on the sideline um, in this instance, then, you know, she's going to do that. But she decided to, you know, she's a leader in her own way. She's going to continue to fight for her son to continue to play the sport that he loves. I interviewed Sean Wade, uh, somebody you're going to get to see later this fall. And he kept going back to the fact that you guys just had no clarity throughout all of this. There was no messaging from the league down to the coaching level so that it could get to you guys and your parents. What was that like emotionally when there's just no answers? It was so hard. I mean, this has been the hardest time mentally for me that I've ever been a part of uh, a situation or, or, you know, a movement or whatever, but, you know, I, I, I was struggling pretty hard mentally and, you know, I would lean on my support system and, I mean, they were there for me, but it's just hard because no one knows what to say. I mean, Coach Franklin is such a good leader and as a leader, in my opinion, um, you have to have the open communication and open dialogue and there was just none of that. So it was very frustrating because, you know, you see these reports on Twitter and any kind of social media and it was just saying all these random different things and you didn't know what was true or what to believe. And so, you know, um, it was hard for me and especially my teammates um, but, you know, we're happy that it got done, that we we're allowed to play again, and we're just looking forward to, to a great season. You talk about the mental aspect of it. How exactly specifically did it impact you mentally? There were days where I'd wake up just kind of being like, you know, what, what am I doing still at Penn State? Like, why, why, why am I not working towards my future in the NFL? And, and why aren't I, you know, working out today? Or I don't feel like working out. It was just so hard because, you know, there's always that goal, that end goal of a national championship or a Big Ten championship. You know, with COVID-19, obviously it's a very serious uh, illness and, and virus, but, uh, you know, we have the right protocols in place to play. And I, it was just very hard because, like, I, like you said, like seeing other teams play, it was just very hard on, on our mental state. 
What was it like when it was officially announced that you guys were going to get to chase that Big Ten championship and that national championship? And what was that first practice like? I imagine it was spirited. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when we got that notification and call from Coach Franklin, it was it was just like a weight lifted off my chest. You know, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I yelled in, in, in happiness. I was so excited because, you know, I get to strap on the pads one more time with my brothers and you know, I just that first practice was very live and it was exciting because, you know, we got back and competing and there's nothing more, especially at Penn State, that Coach Frank does a great job of, of, of really making sure everyone competes for, you know, a spot or just competing in general. And it was just so good to go out there and compete and just that kind of aspect of everything. I have had the amazing blessing to attend multiple whiteouts at Penn State in Happy Valley. For those listening who have never experienced that amazing tradition, Put us there as someone who's immersed within it on the field and making that 110-ish thousand people lose their ever-loving minds. What is that atmosphere, Pat? Really hard to explain. It's, I mean, it's electric. It's, it's all those words that, you know, just describe how amazing it really is. I mean, I got a good advice my freshman year because that was my first start, and I got good advice from one of the seniors' tight ends. Um, he was like, take six seconds before when you run out of the tunnel. And just soak it all in. You know, th th this is too of an amazing experience to just go in and just focus on that game every single second when they're out there. You need to look out to the crowd and see, you know, experience it and just take it all in. And I did that. And it was just – I still get chills thinking about it. And it's, it's, it's honestly the most surreal thing I've ever been a part of. I've not heard, and I don't know if it's been announced, kind of what you guys are doing fan-wise, but I don't think you're going to have any? No, I don't think we're Okay, so, so there will be no whiteout. Nope. this year, which might be your last year at Penn State. You would expect that, right? So, so what do you think that's going to be like going into that massive stadium with nobody there? Yeah, yeah we were actually practicing uh, a couple of days ago in the stadium with no one there. And it was just kind of funny, like, talking to my teammates and my coach, just kind of being like, yeah, this is going to be our audience for the season, you know? So it was definitely weird. But, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of have to put on a hard hat and just go to work and just kind of block out the noise and, um, block out not having any fans to cheer for you and just and just get the do job done. We'll get back to Pat in just a minute, but first, now let's get back to our interview with Penn State tight end, Pat Fryermuth. As a New England boy, what is it like seeing every New England boy your age's childhood hero in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform? <sighs> it's definitely weird. I mean, Tom Brady, obviously everyone grows up idolizing him and wanting to be him. Um, it's so weird to see him in a, in, a, in a Bucks uniform, but, you know, you had to do uh, what's best for him and his family. And if that's going to Tampa Bay, then as a, as a true Patriots fan, then you have to support him um, because, you know, he brought so many great years and so many championships to Boston. I'm actually cheering for you guys this year too, man, because I live in Charlotte. I'm a Cam guy, and he is balling, dude. He's balling right now. He's, he's balling. It makes me happy for him. Uh, i got a couple more, and I'll get you out of here. Let's talk projection and expectation with everything you guys have coming back. Uh, what is your potential to win the Big Ten and maybe have an opportunity at a playoff berth? You know, at the end of the day, Coach Franklin's his mentality of preaching 1-0 really comes in handy um, th at this time um, this year because you don't, with all the uncertainty, you don't know. So, you know, we're just taking it one week at a time and we have to control what we can control. You know, just practicing every single day as hard as we can, getting better every single day as hard as we can. But... You know, our goal coming into this year was, you know, win the Big Ten championship and, and win the national championship and go into the playoffs. And, I mean, I think we have the talent. I think we have the right mindset. And I think, you know, with, with our coaches putting us in the right position and everyone just buying into the program, we, we're going to be very successful. What's it like being 
with your teammates in a time when your social life is tamped down to nothing. You can't go out and go to parties and be social that way in a normal college experience. How much more do you guys need each other throughout this time? Yeah, I mean, we need each other a lot, you know, just making sure everyone is staying positive and, and has the right mindset of, you know, making sure that our, our mental is in the right place. And I mean, I think it's actually kind of good that, you know, the team's not really going out and all hanging out with each other just because, you know, we're building relationships and building bonds. I mean, the freshman wasn't able to come in or as early as they wanted to to come get in bond with us and get be, feel a part of the team. So, you know, grabbing the freshman under our wings and inviting them over and watching games and just hanging out as a team, making sure they feel part of the team. And that's one of the biggest things that I think is important now is making sure the, the younger classmen feel part of the team because they never got that experience of, you know, going out to parties with us or, you know, going out to hang out by the pool with us at our off-campus housing. And they never got that experience. So just making sure they feel part of the team. What's your social life been like? Really been non-social life at all. I mean, I, I wake up, I go to class on Zoom and go to the football building and then come back home and eat dinner. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> well, uh, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you, man. It's so fun to watch you play. Stay healthy. Keep balling. And, uh, and I'm so thrilled for you and your teammates and Coach Franklin and the staff that you guys actually get to play this fall. We all win because yeah, you no, do. No doubt. No doubt. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Appreciate your time. Yes, sir. I meant what I said about that young man. Uh, Travis, he's going to make a lot of money at the next level because he is a matchup nightmare. I, I didn't say it during the interview, but if you would like to opt out of October 31st. <laughs> I should have okay, said that. In reality, though, it, like I'm happy that him and I think any of the, the players that want to opt back in the NCAA should say, listen, crazy year. If, as long as you haven't accepted you know, ungodly amounts of money from nature or whatever, come on back we'll forgive it you know let these let these boys play and it'll be cool to see him back out there along with the other guys it'll be great to see him back out there and I've made the decision I have I'm not going to consult McGee on this I'm going to make a unilateral executive decision that Pat Fryermuth is the 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 first team tight end on the Marty and McGee All-America offense well and we talked about this a couple weeks ago um I'm going to go ahead and make uh, the first announcement for the captain on the defensive side, a name that you love and wish you had. Now that they're playing, Tough Borland, welcome to the team. First three-year – is he the first three-year captain in Ohio State history? Uh, I think JT. Oh, JT was, okay. I believe JT was a three-time, So, um, but he's the first on the defensive side if I could be wrong. Well, you would know. You're – you know, a walking encyclopedia of such things uh, in Columbus. But definitely, without question, Tough Borland is the defensive captain for the Marty and McGee All-America football team because not only is he a bad ass, his name is Tough Borland. It's the greatest linebacker name. I feel like he should be riding bulls. He should be a, a professional bull rider with a name like Tough Borland. What a name. Golly, what a name. I wish my name was Tough Borland. All right, speaking of tough, I imagine that some tough questions are coming my way in Ask Marty. So, Travis, let her eat. The first one comes from uh, DJ Matty P, and I love this one. What is the right number of chuggas to say before you say choo-choo? Oh, my God, what? All right, here we go. Ready? Chugga, 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 chugga. Wait, chugga, 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 chugga. Chugga, 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 chugga. 
chugga, 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 chugga. 12. That's what someone else tweeted at me. 12 is the correct answer. That's the answer. 12 chugga chuggas. Actually, no, 12 chuggas. Not 12 chugga chuggas. It's six chugga chuggas. It's 12 chuggas. <laughs> what a, that's a hell of a question. I love that one. All right, so our next question is we're going to make it a feature within a feature. This question came from Ian Fitzsimmons, co-host of Oh, Freddy my boy. Yeah. So he tweeted this one in a couple weeks ago. Is peanut butter and jelly sandwich better with the bread toasted? I say hell yeah. And so then Stu Gatz's podcast producer, Dan Stanzik, said, how about a segment called Hell Yeah or Hell Nah? So is, peanut, is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich better with the bread toasted or not? Hell yes or hell no? Hell no. I'm with you. I don't want my bread toasted when I have those two together. No, I don't either. And so you know me, I'm a huge peanut butter honey guy. And I, so, so toasted peanut butter and honey, I'm in on that. Toasted peanut butter and jelly, I'm not in on that. So the answer to toasted peanut butter and jelly is hell no. Uh, the next one comes from at Snoop Petty Pog. He says, what's your power rankings for cereal? I'm an oddball. What's, what's just your favorite cereal? My favorite cereal. So early in, so, so, okay, let me back up about me and cereal. I used to, uh, probably as recently as, I don't know, six or eight years ago, that would be my snack before bed. I would have a bowl of cereal every night before bed. And I would do like a life or a corn checks or something from kind of that lineup. My favorite cereal ever, if I'm just, I don't care about my diet or anything. Honestly, it would probably be Captain Crunch. Mixed, mixed berries? Huge, yeah, mixed berries, Captain Crunch. Yep. Um, I remember, I've not had them in, I mean, two decades maybe, but I love Captain Crunch. It's just the bomb. It has the perfect consistency. And then you, when you put the milk on it and, and, it, and it softens the bricks just a little bit where they're not chewy, but they're not crunchy, and you find that perfect, perfect tweener stage delectable. Well, that's the key is – if you eat it dry, your mouth is going to get ripped to shreds. Tore up, man. No, so no, you, need, you can't do that. You need the milk to soften it just a little. That is my favorite, my default. I can eat Cheerios and Wheaties with milk and no, I don't need sugar on there or anything. Just, and I, sometimes I'll eat it just out of the box, just toss it in. I think famously I was eating cereal dry on Marty McGee at the Masters a couple of years ago. But, yeah, Captain Crunch Mixed Berries is the best. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, now, there could be a caveat. I've not had this yet. I don't think you've had this yet. Coach Saban might be the only person who's had this. I bet you they went to him to test it out. Which is the oatmeal cream pie cereal, which Little Debbie just announced that they are producing. Now, from what I saw in the pictures – Again, I've not seen it with my own eyes in real life, but I didn't see the cream in the oatmeal cream pie in the oatmeal cream pie cereal. So the jury is out until I can try it myself. 
I don't know if it trumps Captain Crunch with mixed berries. Now, that's a very lofty standard, but it's, look, the oatmeal cream pie is the undisputed world champion of Little Debbie's. So that's a, that's a formidable opponent for Captain Crunch. Well, I just think that maybe we need to reach out to Little Debbie and see if they could, we could do a, a full review on How cute is this? cereal. Thing? How cute is this? I keep this on my desk, and I see it all the time, but it's just so cute. So when I was at NASCAR 100 years ago, when I first came to Charlotte, now I came to Charlotte probably before you were born. I moved to Charlotte on May 3rd, 1999. How old were you? I was 11. You were 11. Okay. So I moved to, to Charlotte and I started at NASCAR. I was 23 years old and I was a writer for NASCAR online, which was their internet site, which was about four years old, three or four years old. Like the internet was new. Like so, dial up folks. Yeah, it was dial up. No question. AOL was the business, bro. So anyway, I moved down here. And as part of my NASCAR job, I got these desk pads that are, it has like, I'm going to call it four by six little notepad. And on it in script is from the desk of dot, dot, dot. And it says Marty Smith. And then the NASCAR bar logo is in the lower right corner. So I walk into my office one day and I have that pad. I mean, like I, I use them for, for notes all the time. And I have that pad on my desk all the time. I still have leftover NASCAR pads from 20 something years ago. But how cool is this? Look, Vivian randomly walks into my office one day and all it says is she wrote on that notepad is my daddy. Isn't that the cutest thing in the world? Folks, for people that can't see it, obviously, below where it says Marty Smith, it says, is my daddy. Is my daddy with exclamation points. How cute is that? Maybe I'll tweet y'all a picture of that. But anyway, random tangent that I just saw again. Um, do we have any more questions this week? No, I think we're good. Yep, I do too. Uh, that was awesome, man. Uh, great job, Travis, getting uh, Pat Fryermuth for us. I can't wait to watch him and his boys play this year. I love Coach Franklin. Uh, he's an awesome guy, very intense, and, and is just perfect for that program. I mean, and, uh, and he really of, reestablished it. If you think about what he did, he turned the Titanic around, man. Well, you think you talked about how Dabo was on the verge of maybe losing his job. Uh, in 2016, James Franklin yep. could have easily lost his job midseason, and the game that swung his career in Penn State's future was that Ohio State game, which was a night game wide out, which had a blocked punt that turned that game and turned his career around. So the power of a wide out. Yep, that's it. I mean, I love, dude, that atmosphere. I, you know, if you, people have asked me time and again, what is the best college football atmosphere? We know, we that's know a very, very, very difficult thing to answer because each place that has those lengthy traditions is special. I always say, and I mean, like, there's nothing like Death Valley on Saturday night. LSU night games, especially the big ones against Bama or Auburn or one of those SEC West slobber knocker, run your mama over to win the game type of games, there ain't nothing like it. The Pirates but, come out to play. 
But I'm going to tell you something. I've been at Penn State whiteouts when Michigan came in. I've been at Penn State whiteouts when Ohio State came in. And it ain't – it's it's special, man. It's so damn loud in that place. You can't hear yourself think. Those people lose their minds. It's awesome. It, it is – like, as much as it will help Ohio State this year, there is part of me that – because I'm such a fan of the traditions of college football that not seeing that wide out and those fans go crazy, that it's, it's going to take a little bit away from it. You're already seeing it like college game day, kudos to what they've been able to do so far, but not having those fans there, right. it, it does take a little out of you, but at least we have the games on the field. Yeah, man, we're getting, we're getting to play ball and, and that's amazing. Uh, so anyway, Travis, awesome job getting Pat. Thanks so much to Pat for his time and the entire Penn State sports information staff for helping us out there. Thanks so much to our law enforcement officials uh, in these small communities, big cities all over the country working so hard to keep us safe. Thanks so much to our fire and rescue teams all over the country running into the fire and risking their lives to save others. And we're so grateful for the military. Thank you guys so much for sacrificing so that we can live in a free land. And before we get out of here, I want to remind you guys, Marty and McGee at night is back. As Travis and I tape this, it is Tuesday morning, the 22nd. We are back tomorrow, September 23rd on SEC Network at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And we'll be previewing the SEC season coming up, talking ball, talking life, being country boys, everything that you guys who support us so passionately love, and we are so grateful. I am so grateful for you guys who have invested in what Travis and I are doing with Marty Smith's America. I just want you all to know we're not numbers guys. We're passion guys. But it's come to our attention that our numbers are way up. You're investing in the sponsors who financially assist this podcast so that we can keep it free for your consumption. And we're so grateful for that. Keep it up, man. Tell your buddies about us if you think they'll enjoy it. We appreciate that so much. And uh, y'all have an amazing week. We appreciate you so much. We'll try to do better next time around. Be good. This is Marty Smith's America.